0: Be advised, this episode is not safe for work. There is explicit language in this episode. Thank you. Unburdened. Welcome to Unburdened, episode three. I'm Rashani, and as always, I am joined by Gerald and Corbin, and today we're also joined by Ricky. Uh, he is the host of american united again um and he is also one of the lead storytellers on the podcast, aptly named storytellers uh fellas before we get into the show and and we really start you know asking how y'all's week is going things of that nature, how y'all are doing um we did get an email uh I wanted to go ahead and read that first um email is titled thanks for making this podcast Uh, and it says thank you for making a podcast that will start to dive deep into the male thought process i believe your podcast is necessary to start redefining what masculinity is by redefining it i mean how it can fit into an age where women and the queer community have more independence from the patriarchy I'm a fan of listening them in, figuring out what we need to change about ourselves, because it helps me understand what more I can do. Again, thank you. I just want from writing, huh? Yes, I think for writing. It's it's you know I think that on the one hand, the show is. I think it's more difficult for people to write in, or leave a voicemail. Regarding how they feel about the conversation that we have, because once we start talking and, and you see it's a, a comfortable space, the conversation's going to come. You know what I'm saying? But if you're sitting at your home or at your office listening to the show and you feel compelled to leave a voicemail or you feel compelled to leave an email or something like that, I we thank you that that takes a lot especially if you're opening up in an email or a voicemail that that's, that's bravery right there. And it's something that we shouldn't be afraid of, but yet there's a lot of things that will make us worry about how it will be taken, you know, because I feel personally like the idea of anxiety coupled with toxic masculinity, it's like, am I revealing too much? In this email, am I saying too much? How are they going to receive it? Um, so there's always that that break, that stop that happens automatically for me. So to break through that and actually leave a email or a voicemail, it 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 it's wonderful, and I greatly appreciate it. We greatly appreciate it. Um, fellas, real quick, uh, how y'all's week go? How are y'all doing?
1: Gerald, dang it! I knew you were gonna start with me.
0: <laughs> well, your name is Your name is uh, not first in the alphabet, but I don't know why I always come to you first. Cor Corbin, yes. How'd your week go?
2: What's up? Uh, actually, my week was pretty good. Actually, it's one of those weeks where like I should have probably bought a lottery ticket. Um, everything was uh, Everything was working, and so I'm kind of waiting on it to all fall apart now right
0: (laughs) the other side of the coin is such a it's so real like you just feel like okay this was too good something's gonna fall out
2: yeah I felt like I was Steph Curry man I was throwing up half court shots things just going in so I'm waiting for that oh yeah these things you're excited about and you have in the pipeline yeah they're not gonna happen.
0: I hope we don't hear that part of the story next week where it fell out, brothers. Um, Bottom fell out, guys. I don't know what to do now. I need to live with one of y'all for a little while. Don't ask questions. Just let me in. Um, Rick, how was your week?
3: Nigga. Boy. Nigga. That was my week. (laughs) I know that sounds silly, but like, uh, shit, even yesterday. So, um, I work in IT and you ever had, you ever just had that like, oh shit moment, like shit just went down and you right there. Yeah. That was me this week. So I'm sitting in, uh, uh, our call center and I was helping somebody with like, just kind of a minor trouble call and shit. Um, and it was like, shit, 10 minutes after I was supposed to leave anyway, but I was like, fuck it. let me just knock this out while I'm here. And, um, so I'm helping her and then I start looking up cause I start noticing like everybody's looking at me, like standing up out of their desk and looking at me and I'm like, what? And then I look up and I look at the phone queue, whole phone queue went like just dead. All the phones were like just shut down in a call center. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, all right, niggas, I'm on it. All right. <laughs> like, I'll be back. <laughs> like that's all I can say. Like I, right, uh, I know. All right, I'll be back. We're on it. Cause it just happened out of nowhere, and then two hours later, I was finally going home.
0: Overtime?
3: Oh yeah, that, I ain't gonna lie. That was nice, but I, I'm I'm gonna enjoy it like next week when I get paid and shit. But like this week, nah, nah.
0: Gerald, how's your week going? <sighs> <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. Sorry.
1: It was um, it was a week. Like it, this is this is this was a pivotal week in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it's going to turn out as, but I just know a year from now, I'm going to be able to look back and I'm going to say this date, uh, specifically September 20th, was a pivotal day. Um, man, long, long and short, uh, had a friend come in town this week working, uh, we've worked together when I was in California. She's working for a different company now. Um, and she was coming in to do a project with people from my company, uh, people on my team actually, and her and her coworkers, I basically ended up spending like the whole day just kind of shadowing them and being a part of the project they were working on. And it reminded me that I don't hate my job. I hate where I am now. And it made it really clear to me, it I am I'm in the wrong company. They are misusing me um, in multiple different ways, both the not treating me right and I'm capable of doing a lot of other things than what they're putting me into. And then I look at these people who are working in this other company and it is like, it is exactly what I should be doing with my life. And it just made it really clear. Like I've been on this, I'm really not happy thing for a while, but that day I was just like, Oh, it's not that I'm not happy and I don't want to do this work anymore. It's that I'm not happy because I'm doing the work at the wrong place with the wrong people. I need to get out of here. So this has been a, a soul-searching type week. Uh, I went to an African-American leadership conference yesterday, met a lot of good people, did a lot of great networking. Uh, or not yesterday, uh, Friday. Uh, and then I just spent all yesterday and today kind of getting my house in order, um, cleaning out my office, organizing my life, clearing out the 10,000 emails in my four different email accounts. Like, like I'm in real life, I looked and I said, you're better than what you are right now. You have to get your stuff together and you have to start moving. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's just in this very um, driven place, uh, but also extremely frustrated that I've allowed myself to get here.
0: You know what? That might be the quote of the week. You're better than where you are right now. It's such a hard thing for people to, to see because it's like when you're in that time, that's literally all you see. We get such a tunnel vision like I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to rise above this. I'm never going to be better than this. So to be reminded that you are better than where you are right now, I know that that's this week. Like you said, this week is going to be the week. Like after this, this like life altering, I hope that those words like hit people the way that it just hit me because that struck me right in my soul. Like almost like when the pastor be speaking to you, that hit me hard. You are better than where you are right now. And just don't sink. For all y'all out there who are listening to the show, we talk about um, we are black men talking about mental health issues talking about issues that are affecting our lives, talking about things that have affected us as we grew up, toxic masculinity, misogyny, um, sometimes even music, the church, that have affected us in ways that we are really trying to figure out so that we can unburden ourselves of it. And I think that needs to be the subtitle for this show. You are better than where you are right now. That is real.
2: I get that feeling also, man. I mean, it's, the reason I say that is because I get it when I'm looking in the mirror. Like, this week, of course it didn't come. This week, I mean, I was rolling sevens all day long. I mean, I couldn't do nothing wrong. <laughs> but I would say next week I, – I mean, I know it's coming. I mean, I'm not trying to say, like, I'm sitting here balled up in a, in a ball dreading this week because it can't match last week. But I look in the mirror, especially every morning, and it's like I'm not where I – want to be. I'm better than what I'm doing. I feel exactly what Gerald said. But for me, it's been, okay, well, how do I get there? And am I chasing a ghost of, of in my head that I think I should have already accomplished A, B, and C, but maybe A, B, and C was not for me to accomplish? Am I chasing that for somebody else rather than what I really and truly want? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, totally. um, I think so. I, I I used to say it a different way. Like I, I used to say, I work way too fucking hard to be this broke. But it alludes to the same thing. Like you putting in, you know, the work, and it's just the results aren't coming. And it took me a long time to remember. Like I deserve better, but not everybody who gets better deserves it. True. And not everybody who deserves better gets it. And so to the degree that you do, that it falls in your lap, whether it's of your doing from your own hard work or shit, maybe it is, maybe it is some fucking benefit from male privilege. Like, let that shit fall in your lap and do the best with with it that you can. Like, because otherwise they're just going to give it to some other nigga. Like, it's not like they're going to go and pass you up and say, oh, well, you know, what? we're going to give it to a, a, a queer person of color. We're going to do that. That's never the jump. So how do you do when you get that thing that, you know, you don't deserve, but you've been putting in work other, you know, elsewhere? You know, how do you make it work?
0: You know, you have I, to
3: be the best person that you can.
0: I sometimes have it's it's almost like survival survivors remorse when something good happens to you and it doesn't happen to another person who yeah. you know deserves it just as much as you do, you feel bad for that situation. You feel Well, I do. I feel bad for the situation. I feel bad for the people who didn't get the opportunity that I got. And then you're supposed to work at making sure that that opportunity enriches everybody around you, or at least that's what my mindset always was. It was like, okay, I I was given a raise. So then I can help out other people. Um I was given this opportunity so then I could help bring other people up. And I think that a lot of people feel that pressure. Like you have to take the other people with you. Coolio had a song called bring some back for the hood. Whatever you do, you got to remember where you came from and bring some back for the rest of us who were unable to take those steps that you took. And I wonder sometimes, like, how much pressure do we put on ourselves to make sure that we are striving to enrich the people who weren't able to get the opportunities that we got?
2: Us
3: personally, or us as black men as a whole? Us as black men as a whole? I don't feel like we do no, enough. No, no, we don't. <laughs> like, I mean us personally, I but don't agree us as a whole, yeah.
0: Because as a whole, uh, we're assholes.
3: Yeah, as a whole. I, I mean, but it's. It's one of those things to where it has to be like if it's not on your mind, if it doesn't worry you, given the current circumstances, like you're the problem, and so it's more so it's more so like being a circumstance. Like I grew up, I grew up in South Central LA during the beginning of the crack epidemic. Like watching, I think me and uh you were talking about this, Rashani, where like watching snowfall, like nigga, like the shit that just happened like, granted, this is fictional, and this is not like a, a complete accurate timeline, but, like, the shit, uh, January 84, like, nigga, my mama was pregnant with me. <laughs> like, my mama, and then, um, fucking, the shit that's to come, that was just, the, that's just the the advent of the crack era in South Central. Like, my mom having to take the bus from fucking, uh, fig up to California Medical Center every, for two weeks when I was born, because I didn't have, like, Having to walk like a block and a half because we used to stay on like Bud Long and 40th and shit, like, and then like I, it, it made me realize like, damn, my mama was brave as fuck because my mama's tiny. My mama's a tiny lady. She's like five three, but she she hella brave. And I wonder like, and I see why now like shit doesn't stress her as much as it stresses me because like I had no I didn't I had no cognizant memory of that time when it was going on. I just existed.
0: I got a question for y'all, and this has been going through my head since the last episode where we were talking about uh how the church strives to uh install the the a religious head of household the The male is the religious head of the household. I don't really subscribe to the idea of being the head of the household, and I feel like. To say that I am the head of the household um, puts not only pressure on me, but also takes a lot of credit away from what my wife does. And I feel like, um, if I'm being completely honest, I'm not the head. I might be the co-chair, but when it all comes down to it, all conversations that we have in my house, my wife and I have them together. Any decisions that are made, we have them together. And the only time that people think I'm the head of the household is when they don't know me. Like, when somebody, uh, when we're out buying a car, the uh, person who is trying to sell the car will spend most of their time looking at me. And I'm like, it's her car. Why are you looking at me? I don't even like cars like she likes cars. And they'll be like... uh Women need to let men have their toys. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, no, this is her car. I have a minivan. Well, men don't drive many. Well, I have one. Um, also, the idea of being the, the person who is the breadwinner. You know, the primary breadwinner in the house. My wife makes more than me. I'm quite all right with that. But there's a lot of people who are like, you have to be... The person who leads the house. You got to be the person who makes the money in the house. You got to be the lead disciplinarian and all that. And I'm like, you know what? Where I grew up, it was never really like that. And I never wanted that sort of a lifestyle for myself. I wanted a partnership. What do y'all feel? Like, we're all either A, in relationships, or B, married. What do y'all, like, when y'all think about the head of the household, do you feel like we... Like it's a it's a archaic ideal that men have to be that dude. Like you have to be Mister Everything in your house.
3: Well, I it's, do. It's, I think that's archaic, man. It is, but it's antiquated and it's based on a flawed logic. Right? That yes, in a relationship where two people disagree, at some- at some point, somebody if somebody's decision has to be final, right? But that's an oversimplification because it depends on the subject matter. Like it depends on, you know, like just context in general, like in my relationship, we, there is no head. Actually, the only person that run this house is on four legs and not two, but outside of that, like we make decisions together, like, or if she makes a decision that she's more like well-equipped to make, like I'm for fuck oh, babe, I did this with this. Oh, cool, that's your lane. I don't really, you know. But then there's other shit where, hey, you know, I'm more of the tech person. Like, ah, well, maybe we don't need to get this TV or maybe you don't need this computer because of this, this, and this. And she takes the shit into consideration when it comes to, like, taxes. I, like, I do taxes, so, you know, generally, we have those same kind of discussions and then, at the end of the day, if it's my taxes, my taxes, I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. And likewise, I just give her the information. But, like, we work as a team. You can't, like, I don't want no, like, it's, it's so antiquated because of the fact that it's not even possible anymore. The reason why, like, you could get away with that in 60, 70 years ago is because only a single, a single person working could actually feed a household and did isn't necessary and even if we got back to a point where a single person's income could actually feed an entire household it wouldn't necessarily have to be uh me that's doing the fucking working. I don't give a shit about watching kids. I'm I'm the oldest of five kids. Like I watched kids against my own will. I'm pretty sure I'd be okay with watching my own goddamn kids. Like I watched somebody else's for the longest. They may be they may be my brothers and sisters and cousins and shit, but it was still somebody else's fucking kids. Like, you know, just basic, like, I, I just don't understand, like, you know, basic household stuff, even, like, nigga, I wash dishes, I clean up, like, I, I'm an, i I'm an adult, like, she doesn't, we, we don't, we split those where, based on strength, like, I'm much better with laundry, it's heavy as shit, she has back issues, I take care of the laundry, I don't say shit about it, I've been doing laundry since I was fucking seven, my mother's, my, my mother was sick when, uh, and having me and then my brother and sister like it just is what it is and it depends on your strengths not every dude grows up with these like super hyper masculine i'm gonna be the the breadwinner like that's not even your skill set nigga what you trying to take on some shit that ain't even your skill set for i am a bench 400 pounds uh,
0: nigga you only bench 150 sorry Gerald. sorry uh corby go ahead
2: no, no, you're fine. I was going to say, I, I agree with everything you said, because it's the same situation for me. I mean, I've been taking care of other people's kids since I was five or six, doing household chores, washing dishes, cars, uh, folding clothes, all that type of stuff, cooking. I mean, it doesn't, I'm, I I really don't look at it anymore. Uh, and, and actually, I do look at people a little bit funny when, because my parents are this way. They have, you know, they're 60 years old so it's it's a lot of the well you know you just gotta tell her what to do and i'm like i can't do that i mean because i don't want to be told what to do in certain situations now it's it's good for my wife to keep me out of stuff like hey that ain't what we need to be doing right now and i gotta listen to that and i do the same for her but i'm just not gonna i didn't marry somebody that i have to do that with where i'm like you know, you are you really can't be doing this, you know, that kind of stuff. And I feel I'm grateful for that, one. But I just feel that a lot of people still try to – I think we live in a lot of facades, let's put it that way. A lot of people try their best outside to be like, man, you know what? I mean, my woman ain't going to tell me nothing, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, you know, they're out with the guys, but when they go to the bathroom or step outside, hey, baby, I – You know, I'll be home by 930 or 10 o'clock. I mean, you know, I'll tell my wife when I'm coming back and I'll be back by then. And I tell, you know, my friends, hey, man, you know, you're going to be here. Hey, look, I'm not going to be here all night. I'm going to be here till about 930 and I'm going home. That's it. I mean, it's 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 a partnership. It's always been a partnership. Any even when, like you said, there was a, a single person making all the money for the house. It was still a partnership but it was just a, a different partnership. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. You can't, you can't run life like that anymore. And, uh, I don't, I don't even try to, I don't even try to front like that.
3: But you know, it's wild. Something, it's something that you mentioned where, you know, you were talking about how, um, you know, you have to, like, i say it all the time. I, I don't give, like, if I go out somewhere, I'm going out. What time you, um, and if somebody be like, oh, you know, you gotta uh be back with, with the ball in hand," I'm like, nigga, I do what the fuck I want. Now, part of this, and and then I'll go leave ten minutes later because at that point, like I kinda go wanna go be with her, but it's not <laughs> it, that that's what happens when you have a partnership because she trusts cause she trusts me. Like there's if if I go hang out for fucking six hours, I wanted to hang out for six hours. I needed my space. And she understands hey, that and likewise if she goes Thanks. Yeah, so it's not like when you're in a relationship and you have an actual partnership, it never actually feels like that.
2: No, like, and I agree. Yeah. It feels more like, uh, like you're just being courteous. Like when my wife goes out with her teacher friends, I want to know stuff like, "Hey, I'm not going to be home till like twelve or one, so I can set the lights and you know do all the stuff around here that needs to be done." Well, she's going to be here at nine o'clock or ten thirty. She can do it. It's it's more of a utilitarian thing for me, and I want to know if she's alright. Mm-hmm. That yeah. kind of thing.
3: Yeah, like, I took off the day 2K dropped, right? And, you know, everybody was like, well, how'd your, how's your fiancé react to you? You know, you playing video games all day. She don't give a fuck. She found shit to do. She knew that, like, this is one of the few times where, guess what, I'm about to go turn up, and my turn up is on, is on 2K. Like, oh well. Like, <laughs> She just let it go because when she has shit, she has seminars or she has healing things that she has to do. Like, nigga, I'll do what you do. I'll entertain myself. Like, I'm I'm fine with that. It's a relationship, like, or I'll just go out with my boys if if it's that serious. I can always find shit to do.
1: Gerald, you know, I I came up in a family that was very much your southern. Traditional style family Um, on both sides of my family, like whenever there was any type of event, usually on a Sunday and dinner was involved. It was like, all right, what are you doing in the kitchen if you have a penis? Um, It was just, you know, they would kick us out. And so the men would be all in a different room watching football and the women are moving around in the kitchen doing this, that and the other. And, you know, it was just kind of that's that's what I grew up seeing. Uh, my grandparents on both sides of the family, I had like the same kind of, of grandfather. And, uh, and that was the kind where you may hear him talk like once in your life. And in in all reality, I think I might be able to count on one hand, the number of times that I heard my uh, daddy Posey, my, my grandfather on my mom's side speak. And I had a lot more conversations with my grandfather on my, on my dad's side, but As far as speaking in the house, like, my papa would never say much of anything. I only heard him once raise his voice to anybody. And even then, he didn't really raise his voice. He just came in and um, basically got one of my cousins together because she was disrespecting my grandmother, his wife. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the men that I grew up around were very much that, um, speak softly and carry a big stick, but their big stick was just the fact that they had the respect of the family as the patriarch of the family, but they didn't wield that around. They weren't men who went and said, I'm running this house you saw the leadership in them by how they treated the women in their lives. And you would walk in any one of the houses that that were in my family and if you if you were just a surface person, you would think, oh, you know, this woman is running this house and this guy is this, that and the other, and blah, blah, blah. But what I grew up seeing was, you know, true male leadership or or true um, you know, being the head of something. It means being stable. It means being the rock, being the person who is going to be able to hold things together when, when everything's not right and not perfect. It doesn't mean being the guy who says, well, I don't, you know, like y'all were saying, I don't take care of kids or change diapers or do this or do that and blah, blah, blah. It's not about all that. It's not about that masculinity stuff. It's about, are you are you the the rock are you going to hold everything here together and you don't have to if you're a person who does that and who can do that um more than likely you're not the kind of person who's running around running your mouth about what you will or won't do or what you woman can and can't do and and all that so so that's the model i grew up seeing as i as i came up and that's what i've tried to model in my life uh because You know, my wife, is she she always argues with me when I say this, but she's much smarter than I am uh, in a lot of things. She's extremely creative. I have no creative bones in my body. She's extremely um, in touch with her. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but we'll just put it like this. I'm an analyst, and she's an artist. And there are things that she can do that I would never be able to dream of, and there's things that I can do that she wouldn't be able to dream of. And our we complement each other in those things and just like uh Ricky was saying hey if there's a lot of stuff that she's way better at doing than me i'm not going to try to come over and tell her how to do it when the decision needs to be made she's making the decision she will counsel with me and get my input but ultimately if she's the expert she's making the decision and it's the same thing with me because you know our house is it's a two-headed monster With three little monsters that outnumber us that we have to, you know, somehow manage as two people, that doesn't work when you have when you are at odds with each other, because one person is trying to control the other or control the environment or put on a face for the rest of the world. Um, So I just I see that whole head of the household thing as we we co-head the household. But. To be honest, I do feel like it's my responsibility because I have those skills, right? Ricky was saying that you know not every man has the ability or the skills to do these things. I feel like because of who I am and how I am, I am, I am a rock for so many people in the world that, um, that are around me because that's my personality. I hold it together. I, I keep my head straight and I keep things pushing forward when everything goes bad. So I feel like that's my responsibility in my household to, to be the calming force when, when the storm is going on. But when the storm's not going on and everybody's moving you know, uh, at full throttle, it's not my role to be out front pointing and directing where everybody's going to go and what we can do. Right? We, we, we are capable of doing things together. Sometimes when stress comes, you need somebody who's going to be the rock. I don't see a problem with <clears throat> either the man or the woman being that person, it's whoever is best equipped for it. In my household uh, she'll tell you and I will too it, that's me. I'm I'm that person. But it doesn't, it's not because I'm a man, it's just because of who I happen to be.
0: I have a uh, you, you were talking about uh, how your grandpa and I love how y'all folks from the South say Papa. I really, I wish I wish I could call my grandparents Papa and Grammy something like that. I just it just doesn't roll off my tongue the way it rolls off y'all's. But Papa, I wish, I hope my grandkids call me Papa. Um, <laughs> I'm be like, call me Papa. And they're going to be like, we're in California. And I'm going to be like, all right, fine. Um, but how you said that your, your, your Papa, um, when he needed to step in, he would step in. Uh, but more often than not, he, you know, didn't need to. And I know that's a complete, like, paraphrasing of what you said um there's a lot of men and i i admit that i used to be one of them um who used to say i don't need to uh swing a belt or anything like that all i need is my voice and a look and there's memes that you'll see on the internet uh saying you know you're a parent if you spent more than three minutes doing this until your until your kids got their 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 faces straight or whatever it may be. And it's a picture of Samuel L Jackson, just staring at somebody or staring out the the camera. I read a a thread on Twitter uh, a couple months back that uh, struck me. And it was a thread from a lady uh, saying that one of the most terrifying things for her at this point in her life is a man's voice, a man's raised voice. Um, and it, it was because her father wouldn't strike her, but her father would yell or raise his voice or change his voice when he was upset. So now when, uh, men speak with a different voice, like a sterner voice or something like that, it caused anxiety in her. And it was, it was really Heartbreaking to me to read not only the initial thread, but the responses from other ladies who have also gone through this. And I wonder like, as men, have you ever had this situation where you see somebody kind of cringe at your voice and what steps did you take? What steps have you taken after recognizing that to change it? Because I had a situation a, a few weeks back where a we were we were about to start recording a show and the show had gone off the rails prior to recording and i raised my voice and one of the ladies who were on the show it it really affected them adversely um and i never got a chance to to apologize for that um it wasn't my intent uh But that was one thing that was a trigger for them. Uh, And so in the manner of confidentiality, I'm not going to say what their name is. I'm just going to say, if you hear this, I humbly and earnestly apologize. I feel horribly that that even occurred. Um, Fellas, have y'all ever had a situation where you realize that you are affecting women or 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 kids or whomever it may be adversely with your voice and did you look at it as a power as a detriment
1: so real quick let me jump in uh so i want to clarify first with with papa um he his thing of raising his voice he didn't actually raise his voice he just spoke he just he stepped in and he said you need to leave and escorted her out of the house because she was yelling. So he never raised his voice, just to be clear for everybody listening. That was not uh, the story. He didn't come in and boom, boom, boom. Um, But you'd have to know him to understand just how powerful it was for him to even get up and step in and say, walk out. But to answer your question uh, from my perspective, yes, absolutely. Uh, I spent eight years in the Marine Corps and I was infantry. Yelling was a way of life. It was the way that you said hello. Um, And so For a very long time, from the time I was 18 until I was 26, the the first eight years of my adult life, my understanding was that if you want to get your point across, you need to get it across louder. Um, So I definitely have experienced that uh, a lot more when I was young and I had to learn that not everybody's in the military And they don't respond to that positively. And this is other men, women, children, just I had to learn a different way of communicating. But specifically, you know, in in my relationship, in my marriage, uh, there's very few times that I've ever gotten so upset that I felt like I needed to yell. Um, But the times that I have, it it doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. I know that it, it doesn't. Uh, it, it was completely devastating to her and, you know, in the years since that has happened, I've grown and developed a lot more as a human being and realized, um, just how, how horrible that is, how, how horrible it is to put someone in a situation where you are, it's ultimately you're That's abuse, and it is you're threatening their safety Mm -hmm. because that's uh, when you take it out of the human element and you take it into you know just the world of all you know animals. If I'm getting louder and I'm bowing up and I'm moving towards you, I'm telling you that I'm a threat and I'm going to hurt you or take your life, right? And, And we as humans, we still have those responses and those instincts to that danger. And so if, if I'm doing that because I'm angry, it's because I want you to feel like you're in danger and then do what I want you to do. And when you break it down to that, that basic element, I mean, it, if you're a person who cares about other people and you look back and say, yes, I've done that, you never want to do it again. I don't ever want to be like that or do that again. Exactly.
0: Corbin, Rick.
1: I am the soft spoken
2: person. I'm the one that, uh, I I mean, I grew up in, my dad was a yeller. He was in the Navy for 20, 25 years. And so uh, he was a enforcer. I mean, he's your, your normal Southern dad. You act up, you know, you're going to get it from him. But he's going to give you that, that speech beforehand and it's going to be loud. Um, I am the opposite of that. I've, I'm sure I have raised my voice. And offended somebody, or kind of invaded their space, or or made them feel unsafe. But I, I really don't remember personally. And I can say that I've probably I've probably yelled maybe twice in my adult life. But it's not it's not my way. I'm more of the uh, my wife's that way. I'm more of the I'm going to say one or two things, and then I'm going to give you a look and you know exactly what that means, and you kind of stop doing whatever it is, and, and we go from there. That's just been my way.
0: Do you think the look might be triggering the folks too?
2: Um, You know what? I can see how it could be. I mean, it, it of course, once or twice it's probably been my intent, but the overwhelming majority of me doing that, it's never been my intention. Now, if it was ever brought to my attention that, hey, this makes me feel a certain kind of way when you do this, then yeah, I would sit down and I'm not the person that would, because I hate when people do this when they, they don't apologize for it, they explain why they do it. Mm. Uh, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I do this because of this, this, and this. Um, No, I I want to find a way to be better and be different. So yeah, I mean, I would sit down and, and try to Retool how I approach things with that person and then I would take that into consideration with the next person. Yeah.
3: Rick. Um, honestly, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever given that much thought just because I'm not the type of person who generally yells without feeling some sort some form of provocation like generally i'm just kind of a goofy silly guy like i just like to crack jokes and talk shit um but i'm sure i (laughs) have it's kind of inevitable because you know what sometimes um you are in an argument and sometimes someone says something that triggers you and you lash out and you don't even recognize that it tri- that it triggered you, and that that's what was the cause. Um, I'm not saying that that's like a justification for it, but it's something like when if when you understand why something is happening and why you react a certain way to certain stimuli or input or conversations, like it it's a lot. It goes a lot further in actually fixing the problem. Um. I just don't know that I've ever really given this much thought because, like, if I have to yell at you in general, at that point, like, I have a really long fuse. Um, I grew up to where, like, me and my cousin used to fight a lot as as kids, and my mom was really abusive in the way she addressed it. She used to just lock us in the bathroom in the dark. And so for the longest, I just, I was afraid to fight. Up until maybe about eleven or twelve, because that was the reaction. But then when it, when I let go of that fear, it was vicious, because at that point I felt like my life was in danger, and that there was the only way that like it was like, well, did would the ass whooping that I'm about to get in the, in the street outweigh the ass woman I'm about to get at home for getting in this fight? Like, and so when you have such a long fuse, it's one of those things where you may whisper and talk quietly and become frustrated, but then when you burst, you burst. And it's something you kind of have to work on, like diffusing before you get to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I usually just try to focus on that so that I don't get to a point where I have to yell at anybody because I really don't like yelling at people in general. (laughs) Like, I really just just be wanting to have fun, talk shit, and do whatever the fuck we got to do, whether it's at work or at home.
0: And I I feel like the letting it like all build up inside of you is a result of the way that we may have been brought up where it was like you're really not allowed to have a voice in this household. So if you have something to say, you're going to suffer for it. Uh, So it better be worth it. Um, I wasn't even allowed to really tell my dad. I wasn't allowed to ask my dad why. That's crazy. I Think about it. I wasn't allowed. If he said, "Do this," I wasn't allowed to say why. No clarification. No nothing. Just my way. Do it. Do this because I said so. That
2: just go ahead. That just triggered me because you said that. I mean, my I cringed. You said he told you to do something and you said why? I went like, ooh, right that's that's not good
0: right to ask why is 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 not a good response in a lot of households and it's like i don't i don't understand that so you internalize a lot of stuff and you hold a lot of stuff back and you learn how to draw up that fuse because again you don't want to be that confrontational person because you're not allowed to be that confrontational person at home you're not allowed to ask these clarifying questions because clarifying questions is confronting your the, the adult in the house um but then it's it, it's always a bad thing when it bursts. When that dam bursts, I mean, for me, when I get mad and, and that dam bursts, it's usually not something that, it shouldn't be something that's life-changing, but at the same time it is. Because since that dam has been building up for so long, I, I don't know how long it takes for a dam to fill all the way up in real life. But I know that for a dam to build up for me, it usually takes about seven to eight months. So when it floods out, there's a lot of old wood in that water. And that's when that whole bringing up old stuff comes up. But I wasn't allowed to be anything like it wasn't like a two-way conversation with my parents at any point in time. And with my dad, he wouldn't, my dad wouldn't yell. He'd yell at my mom. Oh Lord, yeah. He'd yell at my mom like the uh, the uh, the abuse that happened was real, and it was severe, and it was horrifying, and we all still bear the scars. Um, but for us, he would never yell. He'd just be really, really, really belittling and sarcastic, and it got to the point where you just. You ask a question and then you, I I would ask a question and I would just like have anxiety about the response. What's the response going to be to this question? How are they going to take this? How are they going to take what I'm asking them? Is it going to be taken wrong? Is it going to lead to something that where I don't want it to be at? And that's a horrible feeling. And so I honestly feel like, we as men need to take stock in the way that we talk because we may not give it much credence because that's our privilege. We don't give it much thought. And I think we all have said that in some way, shape or form that we don't give it much thought when we talk, we're just talking. But the other side are, are, are the, 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 the women uh, who we know children, uh, just anybody, other men, can be highly affected by how you talk to them and how you look and how you approach them and how you act. And it's hard to look inside yourself and say, I want to make that change because some of us quiet is kept like that power. Some of us like the effect that we get when we do that look or when we raise our voice just a little bit or change our voice up and get more sarcastic. Some of us like that, but if we can really reach inside of ourselves And examine that. And maybe even fix that. It's going to take a while. But if you can do that. That's when you get unburdened.
3: Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes. Again from understanding. Like where that comes from. Like. um, In certain. In certain circumstances. That shit saves your life like and so it becomes something that you that you seem to value but it's it really it worked that one time nigga like it don't work every time like <laughs> it's not one of those things you need to it's not a skill you need to keep sharp that you, that it, it worked a few times when you were a kid to get you out of a really shitty situation it's not going to do you much justice going forward in life
0: yeah it's like on the karate kid when he used the crane kick and then he tried that shit again on karate kid 2 <laughs> and- and nobody it, 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 Nobody else saw Karate Kid too? Oh, okay. Um, it didn't work.
3: Yeah, they we was just letting you cook.
0: Yeah, it, did, it didn't work. <laughs> um, I just, when I read that, literally, I felt so bad because I see myself, and then I see myself on both sides. You see yourself both from the side of the man who was causing these issues, and then you also see yourself as the victim because other men have caused these issues to you. A lot of tax a lot of toxic masculinity is swallowing poison and then becoming immune to it and then growing an affinity for it and then using that poison against other people. I'm just saying. Gerald, uh Corbin, y'all got any last thoughts? Uh
2: no, I'm good. I'm still uh, kind of re just processing what you were talking about earlier I mean I'm just going through all the times in my life where I feel that you know maybe I may have uh, been that person
0: I didn't even know I was being that person honestly
2: I didn't well I mean we, we probably don't I mean that's why it's like the first time it's even really crossed my mind is 15 minutes ago when you said it
3: yeah I mean because like in my case right I sound like my mom with a deeper voice intonation tone pace speeching like everything just just about there are very few things speech pattern wise that me and my dad share i just have a deeper voice i don't and it never really hit me that the things that she would that she could say or do without them being sounding as rough or harmful just because her tone her in you know she got a little less bass in, in her voice are different like it you never really take that into consideration because you've just grown up with your normal speech
1: pattern. Yeah, for me, and I learned um, that
3: like in oh, a call sorry. center because I used to work like I used to work in uh, call centers and do a lot of custom, like tech support and customer service. And you know, I say something, and you know, sure, and they'd be taking just even if it's slightly more aggressive, it adds to the situation. Even though I'm already lowering the t- the tone of my voice.
1: You were saying, Gerald? Yeah, I, w- I was just going to say, for me, especially listening to the last part that you guys were saying, uh, you know, my my dad was abused growing up um, by his biological dad. That's what he grew up with. Uh, I came to know as an adult, having conversations with my mom, that she had had a conversation with him long time before I was even coherent, basically saying, you know, don't bring that mess into this generation. If you ever put your hands on him, we're done. Um, So my father, he never, he didn't even want to spank me, right? My mom did all of that whenever I deserved it. Um, But he, it it was one of those things that it hit me as an adult of kind of knowing where he had come from, what he knew To be the way you discipline people and then my mom having the wherewithal to say that's not coming here and him uh, respecting that. But it became a thing when I was a teenager. And I was feeling myself to where I started pushing him. Right. Because you start realizing what what your dad hasn't ever done Right. And then you start thinking that, you know, you're bigger and better than you are. And I started pushing him. And, you know, thinking back now, you know, my dad's been gone 10 years. And I think back on all the things that I did that I could have done better to be a better son to him. Um, My teenage years, that was definitely one of them where um, I I pushed, you know, I would poke the bear because I I learned that the bear would not attack. Um, and, And that. That just came back to me because you were talking about how your father, he would he would yell at your mom, but he wouldn't yell at y'all. And like immediately, I thought it's like they she might have already laid that out for him. Right. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but it's just. The the people in our lives, the, the people, I would say the non men in our lives, they see what is in us, they see what we can be both great and bad. And they do a lot of work behind the scenes to keep us from becoming our worst selves and to help push us to being our best selves. And I think that it's our job to recognize that. And now with things like this podcast, start doing the work on the front end ourselves saying, hey, we're going to start self-policing, self-regulating and self-improving because It's through conversations like this that we look back and say, man, my mom did a whole lot of work and my grandma did a whole lot of work and my aunties aunties did a whole lot of work behind the scenes to make sure that we grew up in a positive environment. As men, we shouldn't have our wives or our significant others having to do that for us in this generation or going into the next. So that's just something that I took away from the conversation.
0: I, I don't have anything to I I feel like that happens to me a lot Gerald you come out and drop just jewels and all I can do is agree and say I ain't got nothing else to add to the conversation um Rick thank you so much for joining us we greatly appreciate it um Gerald Corbin it's always a pleasure um and to those of y'all who are taking time out to listen and uh talk with us on the facebook page which is black men unburdened um i thank y'all it's like i said it's 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 always difficult to be vulnerable it's not difficult to be honest it's difficult to be vulnerable and honest um but we appreciate y'all taking the time to do both um for these three gentlemen i am rashani and uh, we will talk with you all on the next episode. Peace. You can follow the show at Unburdened Pod on Twitter. Voicemail is nine one six. Five seven two nine zero one six. Email is black in at gmail.com